Welcome in to another edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Neatawa. He is Chris Hetty. Got a little Star Wars glow. So do you. Yeah. We both you look pleased. You look, you look content. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how we feel. Yeah. So hopefully the vibes so we can carry them into this podcast as we talk hoops. Yes. I feel like both fan bases should feel content. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the holiday season. You're probably listening to this driving home or away from family. So they should be content, whichever one makes you happier. But I was thinking about the the play and, on the court. And, and you're in the afterglow of Star Wars right. and you're in the afterglow of two basketball programs playing pretty well. Yeah. For now. Uh, <laughs> Creighton, Things are just kind of just kind of jabbing that in there, but right. they are playing pretty well. So Creighton's just beat Oklahoma. Denzel Mahoney made his debut. Uh, we'll discuss that. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, some Husker recruiting. But I mean, I think we got to start with the uh, the forty eight hour um, forty eight hours of hoops for Nebraska basketball that maybe maybe changed yeah. your perspective of what this team can be. I don't know what what did what was your takeaway. Um, after watching uh, Nebraska suddenly find itself, perhaps. yeah, it was a it was a weird twenty four hours, especially um, or not 20, 48 hours, I guess. Um, my main takeaway, you know, I don't kind of want to go through um, both games beat by beat because we've you know people have read about it and watched it, mm-hmm. but I think when the further removed we are from those two games, the thing that really sticks out to me is there were moments in both the Indiana game and the Purdue game when it looked or it felt like a moment earlier in the season when Purdue or Indiana, they were going to rattle off like 10 straight points and then kind of run away with the game and it was going to be over. Um, There was a moment against Indiana where Indiana was up four. I think they had scored, you know, six or seven straight uh, there. I think it was like 48-42, I think is what the score was at one one point. Um, And it kind of looked like they were starting to try, you know, get, get a little bit of a lead. And then Thor hits a three, and then Cam Mack gets a steal, and then they get a bucket, and then boom, it's already you know it's a game again. And that was one thing that we just had not seen from this team earlier in the year. If you're talking UC Riverside or Southern Utah or George Mason or Georgia Tech or Creighton, whenever things got hard, they kind of backed away. Um, and there were a couple games in there that went to overtime, but you know the other team kind of controlled the game. And I think in these two games, Nebraska had a pretty good, you know, solid control of the game most of the time. Um, and so that was just something that was really, really interesting to me was that offensively, um, you know, they've only, Nebraska has made double digit three pointers four times this year, twice in the last two games. Mm. Um, they, they're playing so much better offensively. Um, I, I like when I don't know what's exactly going on, I just make spreadsheets and see if something pops out. Um, in the last two games, Deshaun Burke has shot 55% from the floor and 53% from three. Cam Mack is nearly at I me. Mean, he's he had his you know first triple double, but he's averaging 13 points, 11. Yeah. By the way, kudos on that. Five rebounds. I know. You called it like a month and a well, half. Well, kudos to him for doing it. Sure. But kudos. They, I, mean, I, t- you, I told you. Them. Yeah. I and I was you. I gave you a little pushback because again, like only what 20. I think it was 29 D1 players did it last year, and yeah. I think there might have been only like five or I think there were five D or five high major players mm-hmm. who. Uh, got a triple double last year. It's hard to do. They did one. They they did the BTN did a graphic of um, players who have gotten a triple double in Big Ten play in the last couple of years, and there's only like five. Yeah. Um, wouldn't be surprised if you got another one. I mean, yeah. Especially if they're going to put the ball in his hands as much as they are. Right. Um. So he's obviously playing extremely well. Thor, 
uh, shooting 50% from the floor um, in the last two games, making 45% of his threes. Um, and Hanif Cheatham's actually playing really well. He's averaging 15 points a game and shooting 42% from the floor. So it's one of those things where offensively, they're starting to click a little bit. They took away Gervais Green. They simplified some stuff. And, you know, players are making plays. And then defensively, is, I said that to say this, they're also punching back in terms of in that Purdue game, there was a point in there where it was extremely bad basketball that no one should have to be oh, able to watch. It yeah. was very ugly. Uh, I was locked at 14 for like four minutes. <laughs> it was so gross. But in those four minutes, that was when Nebraska defensively, really they were getting, and they lost 11, they missed 11 straight shots, but they still stopped Purdue so many times in there that they weren't able to, the Boilermakers weren't able to kind of get on a run. So I just think in general, it was kind of a, 48 hours, Nebraska's played the best they have all year. What you're interested in or what I'm interested in now is that can is that something that's contained to just that weekend? Did they just get hot? Were they just in the right mindset for that one weekend? Um, and can it happen again? Yeah. And can you copy and paste that for the rest of the season? Is it just something you'll see once every couple of games? Um, but regardless, it was, it was really impressive and it really wasn't something that I thought was going to come, especially after... 40 to nine. Right. I think they're shooting probably. Yeah. What stood out to you? The trigger of it all. Yeah. Just making shots. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to play when you're confident. Hoiberg says that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And when the three balls going in, like these guys think they're good shooters, right? Like, and to have the up and down performances they've had over the last, or to start the year, but then to finally like see it, see the ball go in, like, I think that matters more than anything. Because, I mean, they have so many flaws, especially on the defensive end, just given the roster situation. But as, on top of that, like when I watch them play Creighton, like they didn't seem engaged or focused or like wanting or maybe interested in bringing sort of the level of intensity that they have to bring because of their flaws sure. defensively. Mm. And it seemed like it was there more against Indiana and Purdue. Um, and I wonder if that was just a direct correlation to like actually mm-hmm. knocking down three-pointers and, and seeing the ball go through the net and being able to get back, set your defense, and mm-hmm. it's just being like, like, let's keep the momentum on so, our side. So I think I think a lot of it has to do with making shots. Another part of it, I think, is you know Doc Sadler's defensive strategy is basically there's a line that goes down the middle of the floor, and you have to space it correctly, and everyone's got, you know, just, just Doc's defensive philosophy, I think, is starting to actually set in. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that's interesting is I think in – I don't want to be one of those people that's like, in this society, but in this society, uh, when 40 to 9 happens, we immediately think uh, talent level isn't what we thought it was. The deep, you know, what's Doc Sadler doing? Is he even coaching? Like, what's yeah. the point? Blah, blah, blah. I think what we're seeing is there are some things that Nebraska, offensively and defensively, they're starting to catch on in terms of what Fred Hoiberg wants to do and what Doc Sadler wants to do. Um, but to your point, I mean, Nebraska is shooting 37% from three in the last two games, and that's that's above average, and they've, they're have below average most of the time. In the Creighton-Georgia Tech games, they shot 28% from three, mm-hmm. and they were told, I mean, they weren't able to punch back, and it was just I mean, Creighton, Creighton has struggled with this, yeah. this mindset of, like, a lot of these players were recruited to Creighton to play offense and to run the floor and mm-hmm. shoot threes. And when the shot isn't going in, then suddenly they get down on themselves. Mm-hmm. They've done better at that this year. It's been sort of a talking point for the last year. Mm-hmm. But I think it affects every team, but perhaps even more so the offensive-oriented teams like Creighton and Nebraska that like 
that is who they are. They are scorers. And when you can't score or you can't hit open shots, mm-hmm. shots that you're like, dude, when I'm in the gym by myself, I'm making these like 70, 80% of the time. What's mm-hmm. going on? Mm-hmm. I think that's where it can kind of mess with you mentally. So maybe, um, you know, now I'm eager to see what happens if they have a bad shooting night. Can they still bring that intensity? Yeah, and, and we saw this last year too with, with um, I mean, just to kind of bounce off your point that this isn't just a only Nebraska this year's thing. We saw this at Nebraska, with Nebraska last year. I mean, there yeah. were points when um, Nebraska wasn't able to make some shots. They would go on like a four-minute scoring drought, and defensively they would just kind of decide, like, you know what, I, I ugh. and they were kind of lag, and then that's when yeah. people would kind of steamroll them. Um, it, it's interesting to me – just based on what I've seen from the way that Fred Hoiberg, just what you get when you get Fred Hoiberg as a coach, that that's so interesting to me right now because, you know, they got their butt kicked, butt kicked by Georgia Tech and Creighton back to back. And to be able to go to Indiana and have a player suspended three hours before tip and to set the tone early and take over that game for, for parts of it, on the road in Assembly Hall, like that's crazy impressive to me. I think that there are a lot of coaches where if you suspend a player three hours before the game, you might not quote unquote lose the locker room, but there might be some confidence lost in that locker room. And you're like, you know what? This is really hard. I don't really want to fight, blah, blah, blah. And the way that Fred Hoiberg's able to get his guys to play with confidence, despite the fact that they're, you know, five and six on the year, 128th in Ken Palm, they're projected to win one Big Ten game the rest of the year, which is against Northwestern in March. To have that team playing confident, that says a lot. Um, and so I think that's, that also kind of is a point in all of this, too, where, you know, even when they're not shooting well or even j- just for, for the coaching staff to be able to get these guys to play like they believe they're the best players on the floor, like that says something, too. I think. Yeah, like it, it kind of – yeah, it, it's almost like – they wouldn't have made those shots had they not had that sort of right. Um, I don't know bravado or confidence mm-hmm. about them mm-hmm. that like I mean then they fall that behind eleven to two or something. I think it was eleven to two to yeah, Indiana, so, and, and then, then I think they and then they came back yeah. pretty quickly though. Yeah, I think I think they came back and Archie Fred Hoiberg had called timeout. They came out and then I think Archie Miller had called timeout. Right. So I think they was either maybe one point game after that. It, if you were having any questions after the start to the season, you know, the two losses early to bad teams um, and then the blowout to Creighton, I think it I think it gave some people, but certainly gave me a little bit of pause um, as to what the long-term prognosis is for this program. Like, I think the 48 hours against Indiana-Purdue kind of is more reassuring that, you know, Fred Horber, yeah, he's still a good coach. Mm-hmm. Like he's still got uh, the ability to motivate players, to instill them with confidence, uh, to formulate a game plan. And um, you know, once he gets the roster sort of situated the way he wants, you know, I think you'll see uh, a major uptick. Mm-hmm. But in the short term, I don't know. Like well, I, did, so I think I think it's just going to be a night by night basis with yeah, this team. Yeah. So this given is all this is flaws. what I was curious about. What what you think of? Because I think I think we might be similar in this. We might be different. But do, is there ever a moment early, in the, like at this point in the season, where if something happens, does it completely change the way that you think of the, about the rest of the season, or do you try and keep it in a vacuum? Um, Cause, cause no, for, I, I I usually try and I try to advise people not to yeah. overreact to one game. Mm-hmm. What I about like, two in a row? 
I, I think that's yeah. still too small. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons why I was starting to kind of inch my way toward more concrete takeaways or assessments of this Nebraska team after the Creighton game was because that came on the heels of Georgia Tech, the start to the season, you know, losing those two, playing Southern in overtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you saw gradual sort of signs of growth, but then Georgia Tech Creighton happened. It was like, well, maybe that growth was just because they were playing teams that aren't as good as like yeah. the high major competition they're actually going to see on a regular basis in the Big Ten. Um, so I, yeah, I, I always try to like, yeah, take it as a, a as a whole and try to make sort of. Uh, if I'm gonna, if I want to project, I want to look at as much as I, I. That's why I have a hard time assessing teams even in December because it's. I mean, we're a third of the way through the season. So you this know? is my that's, point. That's yeah. it. But so it, this but is my, yeah, this is my point, I, I, and I'm, I completely agree with you because my 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 sense is what I try and do is break it up into thirds. So it's the first third of the season is basically beginning of the season to the Creighton game, and then there's post Creighton, which is like kind of beginning of Big Ten play. And then you get into kind of, you know, mid-January to about, you know, end of January. And then the final third is like Big Ten grind, Big Ten tournament. Like, this is when you are supposed to be hitting your full stride. Yeah, that's whatever. right. So right. so I always try and view it as like, okay, this is the first third. I'm going to take that, box it up, put it over here. And this, this to me, the, the Indiana game is the beginning of the second third of the season. So it could be much different. So, you know, if you want to look at it last year, first third of the season – you go up to probably Creighton, three seed in the NCAA tournament, put it in a box over here. Second third of the tournament, so-so. Wheels start to come off kind of a little bit. You know, Maybe after the Ohio State or Wisconsin game, okay, you take that, box it up, and then the final third of the year, they were terrible, except for the final run at the very end. Yeah. So then you kind of put that together, and that's what the season is. So for this year, I think it's like, okay, first third of the season, very, very bad team, put it in a box, label it bad. Second third of the season has begun, and after this is over, so after they get to about, you know, January twenty first, Wisconsin, um, that's when you can start to think like, okay, well, this is what this third of the season looked like. They only lost a handful of times. They're kind of battling in this Big Ten. Maybe they're a little bit better, and then you kind of see how the last one is. So yeah. I, I don't think it was like a totally shape shifting, season defining, expectation shattering, you know, weekend. But I think it changes the way you start to perceive what what it could be in the end. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think the only counter argument that I give you is that um, it was interesting. I was running through the NET hmm. uh, last year. So I looked at what the NET spit out on Christmas. And there, believe it or not, there were the majority of teams that were um, that the NET labeled as good mm-hmm. in on Christmas were also good at the end of the year. Creighton... Uh, for example, ranked 53rd in the NET on Christmas. And on Selection Sunday, it also ranked 53rd no way. in the NET. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there could be an argument to be made that what you are today is who you are. But I feel like that's... Um, well, and the other thing, by the way, with that research is, I think it was like of the top 40 teams in the NET on Christmas only seven missed the NCAA tournament. Hmm. So while, the, yeah, while there is that, there's also, there's also outliers mm-hmm. and a team like Nebraska and Creighton, actually, I think both of these teams actually fit the bold, uh, fit the mold of an outlier, mostly because Nebraska, who else in the country has a brand new roster and uh, is kind of growing and learning on the fly and mm-hmm. getting molded. And, uh, and Creighton is adding a couple pieces. And so, 
so they're both, their, so they're both their growth potential is higher sure. is higher uh, than than others. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll see a team like Nebraska kind of take take an, a, a a pretty sizable leap by February when we we look back and we're like, how this team? Why was this team down by thirty one at half? Right or, right, or in the first half against right. Creighton. Or the other the other side of this coin too is like they're like, wow, well. They lost the rest of their games for the season, but they had that one weekend. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, that, that's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of Creighton, yeah, the, the Jays beat Oklahoma on Tuesday. It was kind of a get this: the Jays had won under Greg McDermott. Um, they'd won six times in before Tuesday when shooting less than forty percent. Hmm. And Tuesday was uh, the seventh time in Coach McDermott's tenure where the Jays had won a game shooting less than 40%. It was the worst shooting percentage of the year, 36.8, I think what it was. And uh wow, 8 of 32 from 3. Um yeah, I mean like it You don't see that. That often. was Oklahoma though, right? Oh, excuse me. Cuz the Jays 12 of 35. That looks more like crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so it was it was a grind. It was a struggle and there were a lot of fouls called Oklahoma's length and physicality and athleticism caused some problems for the Jays. Um but they found a way to get it done and kind of won a gritty game. And they've won a couple gritty games this year. Louisiana Tech, they had to make some hustle plays late. Texas Tech, uh, they made the winning plays in overtime to secure that victory. So I think the Jays are actually really encouraged by the, by this game. You would think an offensive-oriented team, they shoot under 40%, they'd be like, hey, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, especially they, they added a guy in Denzel Mahoney who is a, a good scorer. And yet they they didn't have a lot of uh, rhythm and flow, but no, they're encouraged by the fact because they know that they're going to have games in Big East play that are just slugfests. And previously, over the last couple years, shooting last three years, they they they've had issues winning those games, especially against equal uh, competition. I mean, they've won some grinded out games against the uh, mid majors on their schedule at times, but um, and maybe the lower level Big East teams but not uh, the, the teams that they're going to be competing with to make the NCAA tournament, to finish at the top half of the conference. So they're going to have a few of those games this year for sure. And uh, I think for them, Oklahoma, what they did, that was a nice blueprint um, to reflect back on as they uh, as they go forward. So, Yeah, the only thing I was going to add, too, is it's it, one, it's it's important that Creighton can win those games. You're right, because of because conference play. Because there's going to be nights when you show up and there's no reason, but they're not shooting well. Yeah, it doesn't no make doubt. any sense. We have to kind of grind it out. Right. It is with Creighton. It's interesting. You know, they're nine and two. Like we kind of have to start talking NCAA tournament resume at some point. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it's starting to kind of almost turn because this this isn't. I don't think like. A, I think if you lose this game, because I don't know how good Oklahoma really is. And that's a question too. I don't know. Yeah. They look watching them. I mean, their top five is pretty good. Yeah, but. You know, I don't know. They look like a borderline NCAA yeah. tournament. So team. it's one of those things where if 12. you lose, it would hurt you. Yeah. But you, if you win, you're like, okay, you just kind of move on. It could be a situation where you're on the bubble with Oklahoma. Right. That's like, true. That's really true. It's good to have wins over teams mm-hmm. that are on the bubble with you. So you've got that. You've got, um, you know, if you're Creighton, you also have the Texas Tech win. The only two losses you have are Michigan and San Diego State. Those are two tournament teams. Yeah. So far, 9-2, and two, like you're – they're in good shape, yeah. and I think that they could feel they would feel really comfortable with a win at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arizona State in the net this this week debuted at thirty seven. Hmm. No, I'm sorry, debuted at thirty, hmm. and and rose as high as twenty nine, and then suddenly just got boat raced by St. Mary's wow. and, and dropped like 
twenty spots in in the in they the, lost by in the net ninety six to fifty six yeah look at pull up that box score I don't know if you've seen that yet you got to look at this oh yeah thing. is this is this is the no this isn't the team that had that one guy right oh yeah it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is for anybody that hasn't seen yet Arizona State box score er, go look at it. Arizona State St Mary's um, everyone played poorly except for this bench kid Alonzo Verge who scored 43 of the team's 56 points. Yeah. He was seven. He was 17 of 23 from the floor. No, that's on twos. That's Sorry, twos. on twos. Seven, he, he shot 23 twos. That, that, to me, that was impressive. He scored uh, 43 and only hit one three-pointer. Yeah, he was one of six. In, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, he he. When I, I I didn't watch the entire game because I mean uh, it was forty right, points. Right. Right. Uh, but he has the ability to kind of go downhill, and he if he gets on his right hand, he's he's actually. So is really he crafty. like is he is he? He's a regular a volume player. scorer. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not a oh walk on who they just like we don't know who to play, so just yeah. go out there. But uh, he's not a forty three game night right, guy, so right. it, it was a little bit out of the norm, but. Um, yeah, but like that—that's the thing about Arizona State. I think Arizona State fits the same mold as Oklahoma, where I don't know are they good or not. But the, it's the Clemson the, question. But the metrics, like yeah, right. But the metrics say they're decent, mm-hmm. and and I think by the end of the year, um, given the parameters that define Quad One, Arizona State, a road game at Arizona State is going to be a Quad One game. And mm-hmm. so, since it's at the bottom tier of the Quad One. It's a game you need to have if you're Creighton because there are going to be tougher quad one games down the road. I mean, pretty much every Big East road game is a quad one game. And so it's always tough to win league road games, obviously. It's tough to have a winning record on the on the road. So you know your your quad one record overall is going to take a hit. So this type of game is one that, that, that becomes really important. So we'll see what they do. I think it's a game that actually fits Creighton really well. Arizona State likes to push tempo. Um, it's going to press a little bit, so um, and extend its defense out. So maybe that bothers the Jays a little bit, but like they've been good at not turning the ball over. So it could be an up and down game that um, should I, I think favor Creighton, given the the Jays when they get into shootouts, they really enjoy themselves more is, times than not. Is is Marcus Zagorowski playing himself into first team All Big All Big East? Yeah, he's a first team right now. Yeah. He's a first team yeah. All Big East player. He's just uh, I don't I mean I was just you know the Oklahoma game it was ugly and it was it was it was kind of a um you know it, it was a dogfight at times and there were a lot of whistles and stoppages and it lost its flow and then all of a sudden you look at the box score and Marcus has like twenty eight and seven mm-hmm. or something like that and you're like what mm-hmm. this kid like mm-hmm. continually producing um, and he made a couple just sort of emotional uplifting plays where he. Uh, there was a loose ball rebound that he got he got on the floor and beat uh, an Oklahoma player too and and secured that defensive rebound. And then he went up against a like a bigger guy and ripped the rebound away from from the Oklahoma guy. And that those were both late in the game. Like Creighton kind of had it in hand, but you just sort of needed a couple plays to push you over the top to seal it. And he made those plays. So he's been doing that all year too. Um, to me. I don't know if I had to do an all Big East first team. I mean, I feel like uh, Marcus Howard, Kamar Baldwin, and and Marcus Zagorowski are, are three locks for that. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. I guess we could have debates after that. But but Marcus has played at that level so far. Yeah. So we'll see if he can keep it up. The other thing to note about Creighton is Denzel Mahoney, six five transfer um, who 
came in in his first game with the Jays. Much anticipated debut, by the way. A lot of fans obviously were aware of him, and the, and he's produced in practice over the uh, over the year and a half that he's been on the roster. And so there's been a lot of sort of hype and buzz about Denzel. And then he he debuts. Really, he got 18 seconds on the bench before subbing in because Christian Bishop picked up a foul. So Denzel Mahoney comes in. And it was actually kind of like an ideal matchup for Denzel and the Jays, really, because um, Oklahoma doesn't have – it has one true Mm five-man, and he played two minutes. So the Jays were able to go small, and they were able to – it's almost like they were able to showcase Denzel Mahoney's strengths as a physical uh, defender who's long and um, you know has the ability to kind of play. He's six five, but he plays six seven almost. You know, mm-hmm. and so he was matched up a lot of times against a guy like Christian Doolittle for Oklahoma, who can put the ball on the floor, take jump shots, post you up, and uh, and he was he proved that like he because of his stature and his build will be a valuable piece for them defensively. And then offensively, I think he scored 14 points. He hit his first three. Um, he went to the line eight times. Uh, that's something he'll do really well. There is sort of a question of like the flow of the offense and adding another score into the mix and how does that, how does the team sort of mesh and blend together now that you kind of disrupted a little bit and um, – and Coach McDermott talked about it after the game. He was like, we just have to know that, you know, now, now, whereas like Tyshawn Alexander might go two minutes. Previously, he was going two minutes without taking a shot. Mm-hmm. Maybe he goes four minutes, you know, because there's just more shots of he has fewer shots. Mitch Ballack has fewer shots. Marcus Zagorowski has fewer shots. And so the players have to, in their mind, remind, be reminded that you don't need to force it. Mm-hmm. Just keep playing offense. It'll come. And so that was interesting. But in the second half, um, Creighton averaged like 0.84-ish, something around that. I'm just pulling the – I can't remember. Maybe I have the the numbers on my uh, in my notebook right here. I don't. I think it was like 0.8 points per possession in the second half with without a true five on the court. Mm-hmm. So that's Denzel Mahoney or Dam- Damian Jefferson playing the five. But when they put Christian Bishop back in, it doubled. They're at 1.6 points per, hmm. per possession. And since the second half was more of a half-court game, um, a slower-paced, kind of like that's when the game turned into a slugfest, to me that signals that Crane's just more comfortable with its five because they've practiced. They've had more reps uh, with a five on the floor, and so they're going to have to do some work playing with uh, with Denzel Mahoney or, or Damian Jefferson at the five because there will be instances during the course of the season where they'll have to go super small. And because – of what that can do to an opponent, you know, having five guards on the floor who all can shoot it and drive it and score. Um, you, you really want to maximize what you can do with that lineup mm-hmm. offensively because defensively you're in such a bind right. without any yeah. rim protection or a lot of height. So it's interesting because I think half of the basketball season is figuring out lineups just throughout the whole year. And, and it was interesting while you were just talking about, um, you know, Creighton trying to figure out, okay, I'm not going to, you know, Ty Shalons is going to shoot, you know, every four minutes on every two minutes for Nebraska. I was just thinking in my head, it was the opposite when Gervais Green yeah. goes out. Where Cam Mack and Deshaun Burke and Aniv Cheatham 
are like, all right, well, I got to shoot more then. And, and and that's why I think, you know, maybe it works pretty well. But that's the interesting part about the season two for Nebraska is like, what if Gervais Green comes back and how does that add? Right. And, and Creighton, you know, you also have a couple more guys they could, they could add yeah, throughout the Davion season. Yeah, Damian Mintz yeah. is coming back and, and uh, at some point. I mean, so it's like, how so, do you continue yeah. with the momentum and the up-tempo play and how you've been doing it in the first third of the season? And how do you um, switch that when you add a couple more guys and continue to play that way with you know, it's just a just how do you mesh it all together right. and that's why you know Craig McDermott and Fred Herbert get paid much uh, much more than we do yeah exactly <laughs> no doubt um, before we depart let's talk a little bit about Nebraska recruiting there's just yes. a couple bits of news this yeah. week uh, that are worth noting uh, that I'm sure Husker fans are interested in Donovan Williams uh, 2021 no 2020 2021 uh, commit who did not sign in the early signing period has Correct. now decommitted. Correct. And th- the Huskers have added um, a former local product, a name that I'm sure uh, resonates or, or is familiar to local hoops fans, Teddy Allen, mm-hmm. who started his career at West Virginia, uh, went to Wichita State, is now at junior college in like, Western, Western Nebraska. Nebraska. In Scotts Bluff, yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so he's going to join the team next year. So it's kind of yes. like a trade? It, you know, um, it didn't yeah. work. It didn't work out like that. Yeah, it's not like yeah. they said, "Bye, Donovan, come on, Teddy." Right. But it just like the way but that's that the, the kind timing of, way of it. Looks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where um, when Donovan didn't sign with Nebraska in the early signing period, it made people wonder, um, including people at Nebraska, about like, "All right, well, is he going to come here?" Um, the deal with Donovan was um, he was a Tim Miles commit, um, but he was really, really interested in Nebraska as a whole. So whenever Tim Miles left. Uh, Donovan continued to want to play at Nebraska. When Fred Hoiberg came in, they told him, hey, we're going to honor your scholarship. Uh, but just because we're going to honor your scholarship doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to bring in th- as much talent as we possibly can. Um, and Donovan was cool with that. And then I think just when you look at, you know, when Teddy Allen committed, and so when Mar- Samari Curtis leaves and Teddy Allen commits, and you look at what Teddy Allen could bring to the table, you look at who's going to return for Nebraska next year. You look at the transfers that are going to come on. That's a pretty old veteran group in some ways. That's going to be on the roster next year. Donovan Williams is a freshman. Um, I don't know if he would play very much. Actually, I'm almost certain he wouldn't play a whole lot next year at Nebraska. Um, That's something that he wants. And I think that he, he decided he realized that that wasn't going to happen. So this wasn't a circumstance. I know a lot of people, based on what Donovan uh, told a couple of media outlets, you know, Nebraska did not tell him to go away. They told him he, they, they would honor his commitment. He, if he wanted to come to Nebraska, that's completely okay with them. Like they weren't going to say no. Um, but Donovan himself realized, all right, maybe I'm not going to play very much. Um, so he decided to uh, pursue our other opportunities. He's a four star, you know, Part of the part of the issue, I think, with that relationship. I mean, Donovan was around a lot. I mean, he came to he, on a bunch of ofi- unofficial visits. Mm-hmm. He came to football games. He came to a couple basketball games. He came to the opening night ceremony. He he yeah. was sitting next to Hunter Salas, and you were sitting there, and you were like, "Wow, like that's that's two of the best players in the state. Like this is pretty interesting if they both come here." Um, and uh, so I think the the thing, the interesting thing about this whole thing is. Um, Oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. Oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask you if uh, this this is just maybe it, maybe it's just too much of an overreaction, but like the way that Coach Horberg 
constructs his roster and the mm-hmm. way that he had success at Iowa State was adding transfers. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not like they don't recruit high school players, but like, it, would, would that hinder Nebraska, because of their reputation, does it hinder Nebraska's ability to go out and get top tier high school talent because maybe it, it's not like like Monte Morris was a high school player right was. like he was a so he was, was Melvin Edgem yeah high school recruits mm-hmm. so it's not like they don't get they didn't get talent high school talent at Iowa State but like you know um the the people who are sort of driving the train right now are junior college or well yeah you know, additions and then the, then we know how much like we got three transfers coming in that are going to be playing and filling the rotation so it's it's like it, it kind of becomes hard to sell playing time to a high, a high school freshman uh, because there's so many transfers exactly. there well, who, and, who are and also coming to play, by and it's the way. W- it's one of those things, too, where um, I was talking to somebody about this. Like, it's hard to point – I, I guess it's hard to play the long game at Nebraska yes. when Nebraska's constantly adding transfers and JUCO guys. So, so two couple things. One, they are going to recruit freshmen, but if they know that they're going to play immediately – if they're one, if they're going, oh, here's, here's what I was going to say. Okay, I'm back on track. Um, I'll get back to your point though. Nebraska has not seen Donovan play yet, so he he was around, but they weren't familiar with him because he got injured, and so it was one of those things where there was like a there was like a mutual agreement. We're gonna you know this and this and but but we don't really know what your game is like, so we don't know where you fit in. Like we need to actually see you play, and so it was just that that was kind of an issue too. Mm. To your point. Nebraska is going to recruit freshmen, but only if they feel really comfortable that they're going to play immediately. Kevin Cross, Ivan Wydrago, yeah. like two true freshmen currently playing right now. Right, right. But they are also always going to recruit transfers and JUCO players because they like having some of the older teams in in the conference, um, and also because it's one of those things where like they at Nebraska and like. I think if you're honest with yourself, this won't hurt as much as what I'm about to say, but like at Nebraska, you have less of a chance of getting a top 10, 15, 20, 50 player in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a couple years down the road, after that kid makes a mistake and goes to Memphis or goes to Western Kentucky or goes to Tennessee or something, and they're tr- looking to transfer, then you bring him in. And that's what Abdelmas- Matt Abdelmassi is so good at, is building a relationship in a week, selling Fred Hoiberg, selling the facility, getting him on campus. So Delano Banton was a top 150 recruit, and he's a kid who they think is going to be extremely good, who at Nebraska, they really didn't have a shot with him whenever he was in high school. Yeah. And so that's that's the gamble they're making, where we're not going to get you right out of high school, and we don't really want to deal with the shoe companies and deal with this and deal with that, but we'll get you whenever you're on the transfer portal. Um, and so the, the other thing about this, too, is you know talking more about Teddy Allen and next year's roster... Um, the Tim Miles blueprint was essentially we're going to have one guy and we're going to build guys around that guy. So Terran Petaway, Andrew White, um, James Palmer, yeah, yeah. Siobhan Shields. Um, and they had good play. I mean, last year's roster was stacked. Glenn Watson, Isaac Copeland. I mean, they had guys around them, but James was the guy. Yeah. And so this roster, the, you know, Fred Herbert's blueprint is different where it's like we're just going to bring in as much talent as humanly possible and we're not going to just have one guy we're going to have a couple different guys and the advantage to doing it to miles's way was you know if you're if you have james palmer on the roster and you bring somebody else in that also likes to score and shoot a lot that could make 
you know, hey, we've got two competing factors here, maybe one leaves. And so it's kind of one of those things where I don't, you know, Tim didn't necessarily turn away talent by any means, but he also didn't go out and try and get someone just like James Palmer. You know, Deshaun Burke is a little bit shorter. Um, Deshaun Burke was supposed to be the guy this year, supposed Mm -hmm. to be Deshaun Burke as the guy and then other guys around him. Fred, So the idea is you, you play a little bit safer. Fred Hoiberg's deal is like kind of a little bit more like Ohio State and Georgia and Clemson football recruiting yeah. where it's like we might have a five-star quarterback but we're, but we're going to get the next five-star quarterback I was honestly the thinking about like like how does Ohio State or the top tier of football programs how do they bring in five-star quarterbacks every single signing period mm-hmm. you know because like because uh, at some point the, they're, because know, their thing yeah because their thing is like that's the thing Tate Martell was a five-star he never played at Ohio State because they kept recruiting quarterbacks yeah. and their whole thing is like so that's, that's fine a five-star yeah. recruit Tate Martell transferred but we got the better five star. And so I think what Fred Hoiberg in, in Nebraska's current thing is, is like, yeah, we're, Teddy Allen and Devonovan Williams, they would have played the exact same position. But we're going to bring both of them in and we're going to make them compete. And, you know, yeah, and we've got. And it's okay if one leaves. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. got Cam Mack and we've got Gervais Green and we've got Samari yeah. Curtis. But we're going we're gonna to basically tell them, hey, win the position. Whoever wins it, wins it. And if you want to leave, then you leave. Right. So that's kind of the risk you take with the way that they're recruiting. Um, but I tell you what, I, you look at next year's roster with Teddy Allen, um, with the transfers, with potential people that they could bring in. Um, it starts to look like a pretty good team. It really does. Yeah. Um, very good. Chris, uh, I think the Huskers play again Saturday, correct? We're Saturday. recording this on a Friday, mm-hmm. so they play uh, Saturday. And uh, we'll see if they can keep up the momentum. Mm-hmm. Creighton plays at Arizona on Saturday. We will probably record a podcast again after Christmas. Yes. So at some point after Christmas, we'll come back. And I think the idea is to preview the Big East a little bit and kind of get into a little Big Ten preview, even though technically, yes, Big Ten play already started. Yeah. But <laughs> honestly, it's kind of a wash anyway because uh, there's only one 2-0 team and one 0-2 Man, how, team. Man, how disappointing was it that Northwestern couldn't pull yeah, that come off? On. They, they, Unbelievable. I mean, I think I feel like Jim Delaney had to, should have stepped in and been like, look. Tom, listen, just do yeah. me a favor. I'm <laughs> about to retire. One, we need one and one for all 14 teams. Like, that's what we need. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, we didn't get it, but that's all right. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the plan for after Christmas is to kind of preview the league seasons as they go. Um, we'll end it like we always do. Nebraska, mm-hmm. Creighton, if they play today, you got a score prediction? or I who's gonna win? think it's closer. I think Creighton still wins. Yeah, I think it's, well, the, maybe yeah. like 15, 12? Yeah, 12 to 15. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, have, we're going to have to watch Star Wars again now, probably. I would go. I, I, I'm proud that we made it through a podcast without like totally diverging into a Star Wars like review but you know it's friday the movie just came out people haven't seen it yet so yeah i'm gonna hold off but definitely go see it yeah do it all right thanks for listening